Hi, my name is Jonathan Pezza, and this is episode 10 of Pulp, where we take a journey, one page at a time, through the literary underground of pulp fiction. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to all our listeners out there. We have made it through 10 episodes, but things are just getting started. Because we have dozens of genres to explore and hundreds of thousands of stories to choose from. I'm just like you guys, an explorer reading and learning about the pulps as I produce the podcast. So if there is a genre of story you want to hear more of, other feedback you'd like to share, or you just want to say hi, feel free to send me an email at jonathan at pulpthepodcast.com. Today we are continuing the tale of Isabel Ostrander's Two Gun Sue. This is another longer episode featuring two full chapters of the novel. So I'll keep my intro brief today and let you guys jump back into the intrigue as Sylvia continues her crusade to enthrall the Easterner Gary Chandler, and we find out a little bit more about the Atchison family. Chapters 6 and 7 from the novel were originally published in the February 11, 1922 Argosy All Story Weekly. So, sit back, turn out the lights, and let me tell you a story. Chapter 6. Atchison Makes an Offer Half an hour later, Sylvia paused before her brother's door, and then, without knocking, she turned the knob and entered, only to hesitate in seeming confusion, although she had plainly heard the two youthful masculine voices from without. Her face was serene with no trace of recent tears, and her hair was arranged in its usual loose knot of curls. Mr. Chandler, I didn't know you were here. I should have knocked, Lee. I'm sorry. What's the big idea? Lee's eyes opened wide at this unprecedented evidence of consideration. Mr. Chandler just dropped by to see how I was doing. Sit down, Sylvia. I came to see you too, Miss Poindexter, and to pay my respects to your guests. Gary smiled and he offered her a chair, and she smiled back dazingly upon him. Did you know that they were old acquaintances of mine? Miss Atchison and I practically grew up together. How nice. I've done my best to entertain her in the absence of my sister, but naturally she can only talk about the East and I've never been there, and I'm afraid we have bored each other dreadfully. Sylvia's smile rippled into her little laugh, and she seated herself, but she carefully avoided her brother's eyes. Perhaps you can persuade her to go for a ride with you. I offered Bobby Burns to her this morning, but she shuddered and said she had a wicked head. Poor old Bobby. I rode her when I was six. Miss Atchison isn't accustomed to western horses, and I fancy she has an exaggerated idea of rough riding in general. Gary laughed too, but there was a defensive note in his tone, and Sylvia was quick to realize his tactical error. She tells me they are bringing their visit to a close tomorrow anyway. And incidentally, I have learned how this visit came about, Lee grinned. No wonder you and Sue kept it dark. Two sisters like you would be the death of any fella. I should have liked to have met Miss Atchison and her mother, but I can only hope they will pay us a return visit on their way back across the continent. He had turned and spoken to Gary, but before the latter could reply, Sylvia observed mischievously, That's because I told you how terribly pretty Miss Atchison was, and I think what Sue did yesterday was simply outrageous. It is her fault, not mine, if Mr. Chandler's friends consider us barbarians. I'm sure no one could do that, Gary protested. Your sister showed real presence of mind in a drastic emergency, and I should have liked the opportunity to congratulate her. I hope she returns before I leave Dexter. Sue again. Sylvia could have stamped her feet with vexation, but instead, still smiling sweetly, she allowed a gentle tinge of regret to creep into her tones. You are going back to the east in a few days, aren't you? Now that poor Lee is unable to take me to the Triangle Four on Saturday night... We shan't have that last dance together after all. That was another of my several motives in riding over this afternoon. To offer myself as a substitute. Gary turned to Lee. I find that I must return to New York even earlier than I had anticipated. In fact, I start on Monday. So, the dance Saturday will be our last opportunity to practice some new steps I have been teaching your sister. I should be delighted to drive over for her. I'd be mighty glad if you would, Lee responded heartily. Sylvia's crazy about dancing, and I I should never hear the last of it if she couldn't go to the Triangle Four. 
Ride over early and have supper with the girls, and then you can take our buckboard to drive Sylvie to the dance. That will be splendid, Sylvia exclaimed. Then, lest her tone had conveyed too much, she added hastily, I'm not quite sure of those new steps yet, and, and I want to teach them to Lee as soon as he is well, so that I have someone to dance with. You will be sure to come early. I'll tell Woonsie to give us something especially nice. And you'll tell him to give me some of it or you don't go to the dance, Lee threatened darkly. Not leaving us, Mr. Chandler. Gary had risen and he nodded as he held out his hand. Sorry, but I must. Don't you think you have talked enough for now, anyway? Thanks for asking me to supper on Saturday. I'll look in on you for a while, then. Perhaps, he hesitated, perhaps your older sister would like to go to the dance also. Oh no, she doesn't care for that sort of thing, replied Lee carelessly as he eased himself back upon his pillows. Sylvia's the only butterfly in this family. Till Saturday, then. Gary took his leave and Sylvia accompanied him to the door, but if she had hoped for a pretty triumph over Miss Acheson, she was doomed to disappointment, for the living room was empty and Dakin Acheson himself descended from his car as they emerged upon the porch. To Sylvia's vexation, he suavely but determinedly took possession of Gary and walked beside the latter's pony to the gate, where he stopped and watched the departure of the visitor with a cynically speculative gleam in his eyes. Gary's thoughts were at that same moment on him. This family tour must be a blind. A motor trip was as much of a novelty to Daisy as a ride in the subway would be to the average city working girl, and it could be nothing but sheer torture to Miss Acheson's ease-loving soul. What motive had brought this old fox so far from his lair? He might have gained more of an inkling of the truth if he had been within earshot during a conversation which took place the following morning between the financier and his young host. Despite the enforced diet, Lee had passed a restless night, and it was with small inward pleasure that he greeted Acheson when he knocked upon his door. But if the latter was aware of any effort of the invalid's manner, he ignored it. Good morning, my boy. The note of solicitude in his tone was almost paternal, and Lee mentally writhed. Hope you're feeling better today, strong enough for a little business talk. Thank you, Mr. Atchison. I'm doing well enough, I guess, but this confounded leg of mine is commencing to wake up and resent the treatment it has had. Lee, with difficulty pulling himself up on the bed, eyed his visitor inquiringly. You spoke of business. Uh, I, I don't. Of course you don't understand what I mean. But you will in a minute. The other interrupted and seated himself, chuckling dryly. Down in the street. Wall Street, you know. They call me Dynamo Atchison, and I think I've earned the sobriquet. When I want anything, whether it's the scalp of a financial rival or a golf cup, I go out and get it, and nothing stands in my path. I'm not boasting, my boy, and I don't as a rule talk about myself. But I want you thoroughly to comprehend that however abrupt my proposition may appear to you, I mean business. I understand that you and your two sisters are the joint owners of the Circle Six. I've been looking it over, and I've taken a fancy to it. It is just the open-air hobby in which a man who lives at high tension most of the year could find relaxation, with sufficient element of competition and risk in the cattle game to lend it interest. Your younger sister tells me that you have thought of selling out here, and for her part, she is more than willing to dispose of her share. Name your price. Unmindful of the sharp stab of pain which shot upward from his wounded knee, Lee raised himself and looked steadily into the small, closed-set eyes of his guest. You must have misunderstood my sister, Mr. Atchison, he said slowly. She personally may wish in order to gratify her desire for travel and social life, but she is still only a child, and by the terms of our father's will, her share in the property is in trust and not at her disposal for another three years. I am in a position to speak for my older sister, and as far as she and I are concerned, the Circle Six has no price. Atchison's thin-lipped smile did not change, and he nodded briskly as though he had anticipated and discounted the young man's reply. I understand the, uh, sentimental motive which impels you to hold on to the ranch as long as you can, and it does you credit, but one of the principal attributes to success 
is the ability to know when you are in a losing game and get out from under. Just what do you mean? Lee's brown eyes had turned almost black. My boy, when I decide to buy something from a block of stock to a ranch, I naturally inform myself about it at the earliest possible moment. You must pardon me for mentioning it, but I have learned that you are in financial difficulties and that the Circle Six may willy-nilly pass out of your hands at a not-too-far-distant date. Why wait for the inevitable which will leave you and your sisters at best with a mere pittance, when you might with one stroke profit more than you could hope to in the next five years here, provided it were possible for you to retain your title to the ranch for that period? My reason and that of my sister Susanna for declining to sell is irrelevant to this discussion. Lee's face whitened beneath its tan. If we are in any financial difficulty, that too is solely our affair. The Circle Six will not pass out of our hands while we have a single resource left. But is that fair to your sisters? Atchison bent forward in his chair. Have you and your older sister the right to condemn the younger to poverty instead of comparative affluence in the future for any reason, sentimental or otherwise? In justice to them, you must try to look at my proposition from a sensible, worldly standpoint. I made some inquiries of the other ranch owners in the neighborhood of Dexter yesterday afternoon, and I know approximately what the Circle Six is worth. Perhaps one of your reasons for declining to name a price is your realization that unless you obtained more than its actual value, you and your sisters would have little left when your debts were liquidated. I repeat, Mr. Atchison, my reasons are my own, Lee interrupted in his turns. It is useless to continue this discussion. The Circle Six is not for sale. You are banking on the chimera of hope that some miracle may enable you to hold on to the ranch until the tide turns. But you must open your eyes to the plain facts. That is why I'm brutally frank, my boy. I'm speaking for your sake and that of your sisters, as well as my own whim. There was added force in Atchison's tone. When I buy anything... With the idea of profit, it is needless to say that I do not pay a cent more than I must, certainly not more than its market value. But when I am indulging a personal fancy or desire, call it anything you like, I am prepared to pay for my fun. I know you're in pain and I will not prolong this interview, but I want to place a proposition before you. Briefly, as a starting point, let us say that this ranch of yours, land, buildings, livestock, and all, is worth in the neighborhood of $100,000. At a forced sale, you would not recognize more than three-quarters of that. If you ask them, your bankers or your attorney will verify my statement. Perhaps there may be outstanding notes exaggerating $50,000 long past due against the estate. How do you know all this? Lee exclaimed. I made it my business to find out. You can understand now the reason for my nickname on the exchange. Atchison laid a claw-like hand upon the arm of his youthful host. I'll give you 125000 outright for the Circle Six. That means 25000 net capital left for each of you instead of that sum divided between you three. Remember, I'm offering you two-thirds more than the amount this place would bring at a forced sale and a quarter more than it's worth, more than anyone else will ever offer for it. You'll have to consult your older sister, of course. But in all disinterestedness, let me urge you not to refuse too hastily. Lee's pale face flushed, and he pulled impatiently at the loosened bandage on his forehead as he drew himself up once more. But before he could utter the retort which rose to his lips, the door burst open and Sylvia entered like a whirlwind. Lee! Oh, Lee, I couldn't help hearing. Isn't it simply too wonderful? Sue has just got to agree. Sue has not got to agree, nor have I. He spoke in a tone which the girl scarcely recognized. You have no voice in this matter, Sylvia. It is for us to decide with Mr. Hartwell. I won't stand it. She stamped her foot and her blue eyes glinted like steel. That old fossil in Mammoth City isn't going to tie me down in this, this unspeakable wilderness for the rest of my life. Father must have been crazy to make him my trustee. Sylvia, Lee thundered, but Atchison rising intervened. I am sorry to have precipitated this argument, but I hope Miss Sylvia 
that you will be able to persuade your brother, and your sister too when she returns, to look upon my offer as favorably and sensibly as you do. Think it over, my dear fellow. There's no immediate haste. I'll see you again before we go on tomorrow, of course, and leave with you my office and home address in New York. I shall only ask that you will let me know your final decision within a reasonable length of time. Lee shook his head. I have already given you my final decision, Mr. Atchison, he said wearily and lay back upon his pillows. I have spoken for my older sister, and I think I know our attorney's views as trustee for my younger one. We shall not sell. Mr. Atchison, don't listen to him, Sylvia cried. He can speak for himself, but he'll find that I can too. I will leave you to talk it over, my dear. Atchison paused in the doorway, concealing the smile which hovered about his lips. My offer will stand open for at least thirty days. When the door had closed behind him, Sylvia turned upon her brother, but was arrested by his look of stern displeasure. Never again dare to speak of father as you did just now. He was right to leave your affairs to Uncle Dave Hartwell's hands. He paused and added, You're my sister, but darned if it doesn't seem sometimes that I hardly knew you. The Circle Six may be dreary and lonesome to you, but to Sue and me it is a sacred trust, and carries with it a moral obligation to stay, pay off our debts, and carry on the work that father began. Why can't you see it as we do? Because I've never been anywhere or had anything, Sylvia burst out. Sue went to city in the school and you to college. But what about me? I don't see any sacred trust about it just because father couldn't make a success of the ranch. If we sell out to Mr. Atchison's, the debts can be paid and we each have enough money to do as we please. You know we are getting poorer and poorer all the time and sooner or later the Circle Six will have to go and then we'll have next to nothing. Oh, I'm sick of it here. I wish I were dead. She buried her face in her hands and began to sob hysterically, and Lee tossed uncomfortably on his bed. He had the usual masculine aversion to tears, coupled with the abysmal ignorance of femininity in general, and he wished fervently that Susanna had been at home. It was useless to talk to Sylvia, for he could never make her understand, and from her point of view there was a certain amount of justice in her plea. The poor little thing had never been off the ranch, and it is only natural that she should hunger for the advantages that other girls had. In sudden gentleness, he stretched out his hand toward her. Look here, Sylvia. We're not getting poorer, and we're not going to fail. Before you're 21, you'll have a bigger income from the ranch than the income on the $25,000 that would be yours if we accepted Mr. Atchison's offer. You'll see. Sue and I don't mean to tie you down here, honey. Just as soon as we've got things on a profitable basis and paid off those notes, you'll have everything that you feel you are missing now. When I'm toothless and crippled with rheumatism, I suppose. She dried her eyes on a wisp of a handkerchief, but her tone was not so scornful as the words implied. I don't think it's fair, Lee. I want to travel and know people like the Atchison's. And, and Mr. Chandler, and have good times and pretty things now. We aren't any better off than we were last year, and it'll only be worse as we go on, now that there's more trouble. More trouble, he interrupted sharply. What do you mean? Oh, I don't know, of course, for Sue always puts me off, and she told me not to worry you with it. Sylvia hesitated her eyes downcast and then suddenly plunged. Sue acts as if the ranch were hers alone, and we hadn't any right to know what is going on. But she tells Wes everything. She said yesterday that she only had to go to Mammoth City to sign some papers over again that hadn't been properly drawn up before. But she talked to Wes for a long time afterward, and she's been as glum as an Indian ever since. I'm positive it's something more than just signing papers, and... We can't skimp any closer than we're doing. I've worn that same white dress to every dance till I'm ashamed to be seen in it. And Sue never has anything new, either. If we've got to live this way for years to come, it, it doesn't seem worthwhile going on. It won't be for long, if you just have a little patience, Sylvia. Lee's tone was faint, and his face drawn with pain. Even if we were all three willing to sell the Circle Six... It wouldn't do to accept the first offer that came our way, and from a stranger, too. 
I don't see why not, the girl cried eagerly. It's a wonderfully generous offer, I think. Too generous. Decision lent strength to her brother's tones. Go find Wes and tell him I want to speak with him, will you? Ask him to come right away. Yes. Sylvia moved with obvious reluctance towards the door. You won't let him know that I said anything about his talk with Sue yesterday? Of course not. Lee braced himself on one arm and punched his pillows into shape. Sue doesn't lie. And if she told you she only had to sign more papers, you're worrying yourself about nothing. Go on and find Wes. It was a full 20 minutes, however, before the foreman put in an appearance. And during the interval, the invalid lay with eyes closed and brow furrowed beneath the bandage. Going over in his mind every detail of the conversation with Atchison, there was something back of that offer which he did not understand. But one fact stood out clearly. The astute Wall Street financier wanted the Circle Six for some greater reason than the mere indulgence of a new hobby. What could his motive be? Wes's heavy steps sounded the length of the gallery, and Lee pulled himself up once more and waited eagerly until the ungainly figure appeared on his threshold. Hello, Wes. Come on in and shut the door. I want to tell you something. So Miss Sylvie said, Wes observed as he obeyed, adding with tactless candor, You look mighty bad, Lee, and the little gal's been crying you two had an argument. Call it a difference of opinion. Where is everybody? The Atchison's, I mean. He's gone out in his car, and I ain't seen hide nor hair of the old lady since she lighted here night before last. But the young one appears to have taken a shine to Miss Sylvie all of a sudden. Come up and put her arm round her just now on the back porch, and the little gal looked like she was struck dead. She took her off somewhere to have a chat. Father's instructions. I thought as much. Lee nodded. Wes, if you wanted something to amuse yourself with and take your mind off your work, and you knew you could get it for a dollar, or perhaps even 75 cents, would you offer a dollar and a quarter for it? Say, you ain't in a fever, are you, Lee? Wes advanced to the bed. I ain't aiming to amuse myself none, nor have my mind took off in the ranch, and I wasn't never loco enough to throw four bits away. Do you think Atchison is? Lee asked slowly, watching the other's face. Do you think he's the sort of man to give away not four bits, but twenty-five, or perhaps fifty thousand dollars? He wouldn't give away nothing unless it was catching, and he couldn't help himself. Wes responded with conviction. What's on your mind, son? He eased himself carefully into the chair which the financier had lately occupied, and sat rimming his hat between his gnarled fingers while he listened absorbedly to Lee's account of Atchison's amazing proposition. When it was concluded, he threw back his head and guffawed. Don't that beat hell, he demanded when he could speak. Do you know what that fool hombre's aiming to do, Lee? He figures on panning gold instead of stealing it like he's been doing from the poor suckers in that there Wall Street game. Link found him prospecting round for it yesterday. What answer did you give him? What do you suppose? Lee retorted. I told him that the Circle Six wasn't for sale at any price, but Sylvia heard and there was the dickens to pay. Little gal's got highfalutin ideas about going east, West nodded slowly. That daughter of Atchison's ain't gonna be good medicine for her either, putting notions in her head. I figured them folks were moseying on today. Miss Atchison hasn't recovered enough from that scare which Sue gave her, Lee grinned faintly. The girls tried to keep it from me, but... Chandler let it out yesterday when he called. That must have been some holdup. Reckon it was. West chuckled and then his face sobered. You got the message I gave Woon C for you this morning? That Big Matt didn't find anything at Gross Cup's pool last night but the remains of a fire and some empty cans? Lee replied. Maybe we've seen the last of Jake and his outfit round here. I don't guess so. Jake's no quitter. The foreman rose. Somebody passed word on to him that it wouldn't be healthy for him to hide out there no more, and I aim to find out who that somebody is. How'd this Atchison hombre find out all fired much about the Circle Six, them notes and all? I don't know, Lee shrugged again. Of course there wasn't any secret about it. 
Everybody in Dexter knew that Father borrowed the money and sunk it in the ranch. Dexter folks nor no other cattle town bunch don't shoot off their mouths about their neighbors to strangers from the east. Not as a general thing, Wes retorted. If old man Atchison comes around asking me any more questions like he did yesterday, I'm sure gonna discourage him out in that idea his and that there's paid dirt in these parts, or we'll have him and his women folks staying on indefinite. I think you and Link are wrong about that idea, Gold Wes, Lee remarked. Whatever else Atchison is, he is no fool. He wouldn't offer $125,000 for a cattle ranch on its last legs just because he thought there might be gold here. Anyone can tell him that we've got about every mineral except gold in this state, but there's no mines down in this part. He's got something else on his mind. You can depend on that. Well, there's one pint clear enough. Wes hitched up his trousers. If that ornery old coyote is willing to pay such a price for the Circle Six, he opines for some reason that it's gonna be worth twice as much. We ain't on our last legs, not by a damn sight, and I figure we can hang on a while longer. Long enough anyways to find out why we've raised 25000 overnight. Chapter 7 Moonlight and Mischief And after the big car had vanished in a swirling screen of dust down the road which led to Mammon City, Sylvia knocked upon her brother's door. Come in! He called. Have they gone? Yes. Sylvia shut the door behind her and sank down with a little sigh beside the bed. Everything just seems dead without them, doesn't it? I haven't noticed it, Lee replied dryly. I suppose you've fallen for that Atchison girl's flattery. I did nothing of the sort and she never tried to flatter me, retorted Sylvia. Daisy was absolutely frank. Daisy? Lee raised his eyebrows as far as the bandage would permit. She told me to call her that, Sylvia bridled. She said she thought I was a silly child at first. She's a good guesser. I think you're horrid, Lee. She thought that because she heard Sue bossing me around the night they came, and I allowed her to do it. Daisy says I ought to assert myself more, that the youngest in the family is never appreciated unless she does. It wasn't until... Mr. Chandler said some nice things about me to her that she felt any interest in me. What sort of nice things? Lee demanded. Oh, I don't know. Sylvia blushed and went on hurriedly. Naturally, they were prejudiced against Sue for frightening them so unnecessarily instead of explaining. Mrs. Atchison has a weak heart if she is fat, stout. But she was awfully nice to me this morning. She invited me to visit them when I go to New York and Daisy promised me the most wonderful time. Good teamwork, Lee growled. Are you such a little idiot that you can't see Atchison put them up to it? He wants the ranch and you're the only one who is willing to sell. That isn't so, Sylvia tossed her head. You may think I am an idiot, but other people understand me. Daisy said quite honestly that although we had been so kind and hospitable, neither she nor her mother could endure ranch life for long. It would be too hideously lonely. I don't blame them. Her father is just crazy about it, though, and the Circle Six is the finest place he's seen. Did he give you his office address? The house number's on the card Daisy gave me. She's going to write me and tell me all about the splendid times she will have. Look here, Sylvia. The quicker you get these people out of your head, the better. Lee winced at the unconscious envy, which had manifested itself in his sister's tones. We've got a hard struggle before us yet, and if we are to win out, you must do your share by being as cheerful and patient as you can. The Atchisons will have forgotten that you ever existed by the time it will be possible for you to go to New York, and they'll drop you like a hot potato when they find out they can't use you to get possession of the Circle Six. I don't see why you are so set against them, Lee, she sighed. Of course they were unwilling at first to lend their car to Sue. But that was only because they didn't understand. That did not prejudice me. Sue took the situation in hand, all right. I merely object on the grounds of principle to people who would use our hospitality as a means to further their own ends, who eat our bread and try to take advantage of us in the bargain. Advantage? repeated Sylvia. 
Why, you know that Mr. Atchison offered us more for the ranch than anyone else ever will. I'm not so sure about that, Lee replied slowly. But it isn't a matter of business with him. He told you that, Sylvia protested. He only wants the ranch to amuse himself with when he needs a vacation. How can you say he's trying to take advantage of us? Just because he offered us more than the ranch is actually worth, as far as we know. Her brother added the last words with significant emphasis, and Sylvia stared at him round-eyed. Oh, Lee, she breathed. You don't mean that the Circle Six may actually be worth more. But how? That is what I'm gonna find out as soon as I can get about again, he announced firmly. Tonight, when Chandler comes to supper, I'll have a little talk with him about Atchison. Perhaps I might be able to get an inkling of what is back of his amazingly generous offer. I shan't mention that to Chandler, of course. And mind that you do not when you go to the dance. The very idea. Sylvia looked injured. As if I would. Goodness, I'd almost forgotten about the dance. I'll have to go and do up that old white dress again. I don't believe Mr. Atchison had any other reason for wanting the ranch than the one he gave. And it's silly of you to suspect him. Haven't we read about rich men spending fortunes on just a hobby? Not men of Atchison's type, Sylvia. Lee shook his head. Chandler may not be willing to discuss if they are friends and possible associates in business, but I can find out what his attitude is anyway. Don't close the door behind you. Doc Rank and ought to be here any time now. When Gary Chandler appeared at sunset and made his way to the invalid's room, however, he was quite ready to discuss Atchison, and his attitude towards the latter was unmistakably revealed in his reply to Lee's first tentative question. Yes, I suppose the old boy is considered a power of sort on the market. He has added a few million to the fortune his father left him, but his methods, while strictly within the law, have been pretty close to the line now and then. The chap's eye, I trade with on the street, don't play that way, and the more conservative element haven't any use for him. His operations aren't flagrant enough to affect the family's social positions, of course, and his daughter is quite a leader of the younger set. So I gathered from Sylvia, Lee rejoined. What does he trade in, mostly? Easiest graft on the street. Mines. Gary passed his cigarette case to his host and held a match for him. I don't mean any fake stuff. He's too clever for that. But he controls more than one dummy concern, and any new mining stock that is floated and looks good to him, he jockeys about these different companies until he's ready to let the suckers in and make a killing. If you have never dabbled yourself, you wouldn't understand, but... It takes a very shrewd man to play that game and get away with it. He must be a very good guesser, too, Lee remarked, settling back contentedly as the smoke rings drifted towards the ceiling. When I was in college at Fort Worth, I heard a lot about companies that were organized to foist worthless stocks on the eastern market. Does Atchison know anything about mines himself? Enough to read and comprehend the reports of his experts, I fancy. Gary lighted his own cigarette. More than a few of the biggest operations in mining have to depend blindly on the opinions of their geologists, but he studied it himself years ago, though I've never heard of him actually going out into the field. If I had encountered him a little further north, I confess I would have suspected some ulterior motive back of his pleasure tour. As it is, he is far from the beaten path of the transcontinental motorist, but he has a reputation for doing the unexpected. In the few talks I had with him, Atchison didn't strike me as the sort of man to enjoy such a leisurely trip. With a fine masculine disregard, Lee flipped the ashes over the side of his bed. He seems to be at high tension, high speed all the time. That's Dakin Atchison, Gary laughed. They call him Dynamo on the exchange. So he informed me, and I think he's privately rather proud of it, Lee nodded. Naturally, I don't know him as you do but I should think a flying express would suit him much better than a motor car. Perhaps his family persuaded him to take the trip? Not they. If I know them, they're bored to death. Did he give you any hint of business bringing him out here? Lee eyed his visitor keenly at the seemingly careless question, but Gary's expression betrayed only amused interest. He wouldn't have been likely to. I know as much about the stock market as he does about cattle raising and we hadn't a point of contact. He didn't even mention how far west they were going, but I don't think they intend to make it to the coast, for I gathered he expects to be back in New York in about a month. Possibly they have planned to ship the car home and return by rail. 
Gary shrugged as though brushing aside the subject. I'll be home myself the latter part of next week, and New York won't look a bit good to me in the dog days, I can tell you. It's a great life out here. I'd like to buy a ranch myself and settle down. But I suppose we must each play our cards as they lie. Chandler, too? What possessed these Easterners that they should suddenly go loco over the charms of cow country? Lee stared, but before he could comment on the other's observation, a light tapping sounded on the door and Sylvia presented herself. The despised white dress fell in soft folds about her slender figure, and the lamp which she carried gleamed upon her golden hair, turning it into a nimbus of radiance. Gary unconsciously caught his breath. Lord, what a little beauty this child was. What a sensation she would create later in the drawing rooms of the East if she might realize her heart's desire. His admiration of the picture she made was detached, almost impersonal, but something of it must have shown on his face, for she turned her head quickly from the rays of the lamp, but not before he had seen the warm, rosy blush which swept up into her cheeks. Woo-wee! Lee whistled in brotherly approval. We've gotten ourselves up regardless tonight, haven't we? Don't be silly. Sylvia placed the lamp on the table and held out her hand with a little smile to Gary. Your friends left this morning and my sister has not yet returned from Mammon City, so we shall be all alone for supper. I hope you won't be bored to death, Mr. Chandler. The prospect does not hold any presentments for me on that score. He smiled also as he took the little hand for a moment and then released it. It is splendid to find and leave your brother so much improved. If you don't take care, you will find him up and hopping about even before I arrive in New York. You're really going then on Monday? The lilt was gone from Sylvia's voice. Yes, and tonight must be a goodbye, for a time at least. I find that I will not be able to ride over tomorrow as I had hoped to make my final adieu then. We'll make the best of our dance this evening, Miss Poindexter. He turned once more to the bed. My dear fellow, I hope you'll look me up when you come to New York. And this isn't a mere perfunctory request, either. I've a ten-year lease on my rooms in the Blandford, and if I should happen to be fooling about at some house party or country club, a note will always be forwarded to me there. I shall look forward to a reunion with you and your sister, and to meeting Miss Susanna, too, if she comes. Thanks, old man. Lee shook hands heartily. I'm afraid we all three will be pretty well tied down to the Circle Six for a few years to come. But if you should decide to take another trip out here, remember the gates of the ranch are never closed. Woonsi had outdone herself in the preparation of supper, and Sylvia presided with a conspicuous dignity over the small round table which she caused to be substituted for the family board. Gary watched her amusedly, an irrepressible memory of a doll's tea party in which some small cousins of his had indulged, arousing an involuntary comparison. But if she were a child, she was a very lovely one, and Chandler would not have been human if he had failed to be cognizant of her charm. As the moon rose, they set off gaily enough for the Triangle Four, and the evening was one of social triumph for Sylvia. Much as she affected to disdain the friends from neighboring ranches who, until the coming of Gary and the Atchisons, had made up her world, there was heartburning among the punchers, for she danced at first only with the Easterner, but belated wisdom, that was partly her awakening feminine instinct, led her to relinquish him to the tenacious grasp of a clumsy, freckled maiden of an uncertain age, while she distributed her own favors with careless impartiality. Once when she passed him rocking back and forth in an uncouth trot with an awkward, raw-boned rancher who smiled down fatuously upon the dainty, shining head so near his shoulder, Gary felt a hot wave of resentment sweeping over him, which amazed him by its very intensity. Why should he, a mere stranger, feel nettled at the sight of her in the arms of this boar. He was probably a very decent fellow and might have known her all her life, and this too was the environment in which she had grown to budding womanhood, the only one she had ever known. He struggled as though in a physical effort to rid himself of the train of thought into which he had fallen, but the feeling of resentment persisted and unconsciously his eyes followed her about the huge crowded room. It was not only her prettiness, the exquisite daintiness and grace of her which set her apart from the drab, negative figures and other feminine guests, 
but some intangible thing that marked her as of different clay. By Jove, that was it. She was different. Her very yearning after finer things of life was an instinctive manifestation of it, and this was no more her true environment than the hard ranch life of his generation must have been that of her scholarly father. Replying mechanically to the observations of the girl he was piloting across the floor to the aesthetic strains of the phonograph, Gary wondered impulsively if there were not something he could do to help Sylvia fulfill her dream of the East. Perhaps his aunt could be persuaded to invite her on for a visit. Then with a quick revulsion, he realized the absurdity of his half-formed thought. Mrs. Porter Chandler was a wise and worldly woman, but she would be certain to misunderstand his interest and sent a romance where none existed. Sylvia was a charming, adorably pretty young woman, but he could as easily have fancied himself in love with a Watteau shepherdess. The Triangle Four, like the Circle Six, could not yet boast an electric plant, and the room grew stiflingly hot under the reeking oil lamps. The phonograph squeaked on valiantly and tireless dancers still circled the floor when Gary at length determinedly elbowed a path to Sylvia's side and bore her away from the stalwart son of their host and out onto the porch. Flooding moonlight had turned the mesquite into an undulating silvery sea, and a little night breeze rustled through the clump of bushes nearby, fanning their faces refreshingly. "'You've quite deserted me,' he said reproachfully. "'We have only waltzed together and didn't once try the new steps I showed you. I believe you have forgotten them and you don't want to admit it.' "'Indeed I haven't.' Sylvia laughed. Try me and see. Oh dear, it's too late. That's the last dance now. The phonograph had been silenced, and in its stead came the reedy strains of a violin in an old-fashioned reel, and the laughter and bustle of the dancers taking their places. We don't want to get in that now, do we? asked Gary persuasively. Sylvia very much wanted to, but she divined his boredom and stifled her first impulse. Of course a man of the world like Gary Chandler would be disgusted by a crude romp like the real. Much of the bitterness which had rankled her at the disparaging comment upon herself uttered by Daisy Atchison had been banished by the latter's subsequent flattery, but Sylvia's resolve remained unaltered. She would show this man beside her that she was not a child he fancied for, but a woman. Before he left her door that night, she would have her triumph and then he might go back to the east and to Daisy Atchison if he liked. The serenely bland face, upturned to him in the moonlight, revealed no trace of her thoughts, however, and her tone was sweetly submissive as she replied to him, I don't care for the real. It's so rough and noisy. They won't miss us. Shall we just slip away now and start for home? If you wish, Sylvia. Her name slipped quite involuntarily from his lips and he seemed unconscious to it, but she felt the little thrill of satisfaction. Will you wait here while I get your cloak for you and bring the buckboard around? The drive back ought to be wonderful under the moon. I don't remember ever to have seen it shine so marvelously in the east. Sylvia nodded, and smiled a trifle to herself as he strode within doors. The magic of the night stirred her too, but she would not permit it to lay hold upon her. The dramatic situation she meant to stage filled her thoughts, and she reveled in it in prospect, with all her mischievous soul. When Gary returned and slipped her cloak around her shoulders, Sylvia swayed back slightly against him for the merest fraction of a second, so slightly that she knew he could never have told whether it was an accident or design. But as he started for the wagon shed, he set his lips firmly. He admitted to himself that she was dangerously sweet in her naive innocence, but he must remember that she was ignorant as well of the rules of the game as it was played by the sophisticated debutantes he knew at home. Flirtation was the spice of life to them, but this artless little girl would not understand, and only a cad could find amusement in fencing with so unskilled an opponent. The clapping of hands and stamping of feet and hilarious shouts from within as Gary drew the wiry little team up before the porch steps and held out his hand to Sylvia, who sprang lightly up beside him. Neither spoke until the ranch gates had been left behind them, and the hubbub of the dancers died away in the distance. No other ranch house was visible, and no light save that from their swaying lanterns contested the cool, clear rays that shimmered all about them in an ethereal effulgence. Sylvia drew a deep breath. 
It's almost like fairyland, isn't it? There was a wistful note in her voice. Who would ever think that in the daylight it was the same old greeny-brown mesquite stretching for endless miles? Sometimes I almost hate the moon. It is such a deceitful flatterer. Perhaps it just brings out the beauty of everything that is hidden by day. Or else you are so accustomed to it that the great free spaces out here don't appeal to you. Gary's eyes were fixed straight ahead, down the white ribbon of the road which wound so swiftly beneath their wheels. You've had no opportunity yet, you know, to compare it to the crowded, grimy, conglomerate mass of stone and concrete that goes to make up a city. I don't want to compare it. I want to forget it all. Or I should, of course, except for Lee and Sue, she amended hastily. It seems big and free to you out here because you're free to go. You are going back to everything. But to me, it's like living on a scrubby, lonely oasis in the midst of a desert that can't be crossed, with New York always a mirage in the distance. She sighed, and in impulsive sympathy, he patted the little hand, which lay relaxed so close to his knee. It curled upward, and for an instant, the fingers clung to his. That's a pretty little simile, but a false one, as you'll see. He spoke in a cheery, matter-of-fact tone as he gently disengaged his hand. Confound it. He was so sorry for her, of course, but he might have had sufficient sense to confine his consolation to words. A caravan will come along before you know it, and take you across your desert. I hope when it does, that the real city will make good on all the promises that its mirage holds out to you. Sylvia could have bitten him. The cool impersonality of his tone maddened her, and a sense of impending failure filled her with self-contempt. It was silly of her to think she could twist him around her fingers as she had the cowpunchers. He might think her pretty, perhaps, but she had not the airs and graces of a Daisy Atchison, the sort of girl whom he would take seriously. She stole a glance at his profile, clean-cut in the silvery light, and the force of his dominant chin and firmly chiseled lips was impressed upon her anew. What had ever possessed her to dream that she could subjugate him where women of the world had failed? What a little fool she had been. Just at that moment, a vagrant puff of the night breeze blew a strand of her hair across his lips, and the horses leaped forward. Looking down, Sylvia saw that his hands had tightened involuntarily upon the reins, until his knuckles whitened, and a wave of renewed confidence swept over her as she drew back her wayward hair and fastened it with a little laugh. He was not as impervious as she had thought after all. My hair is such a nuisance, she murmured. If it would stay sleek and straight like Miss Atchison's. Don't malign it, Gary warned laughingly. Half the girls I know would give anything they possessed for a crown of sheer spun gold. You say such nice things, sighed Sylvia and tried to meet his eyes, but he kept them straight before him. I suppose someday that I shall marry one of those boys that you saw back there at the dance, and he'll never know or care whether my hair was toe-colored or black, as long as I can keep him mended and help cook for the roundup. Not that for you, Gary exclaimed, and now he glanced down into the misty violet blue eyes, which seemed to cling as her slender fingers had done. You'll blaze a trail of broken hearts from here to the east, and find a Prince Charming waiting for you, with ancestral estates and wealth to match your hair. I am a prophet. He spoke lightly, but it was with a conscious effort that he wrenched his eyes from hers. She was a bewitchingly provocative creature, with an appealing charm which somehow had never impressed him so poignantly before, but he was not sorry when the lights of the Circle Six gleamed ahead. She ought to know better, even precocious as she was, than to look at a fellow like that, or hold his hand, or let her hair blow across his face. Little more was said between them until they turned in at the gate and drew up before the porch. Gary's bronco was tethered to a post and as they alighted, the lanky figure of Link Dole rose from the steps. He responded with his normal taciturnity to their greeting, climbed into the buckboard and drove off in the direction of the corral. When Gary turned, Sylvia had mounted the steps and only the glimmer of her white gown beneath the open cloak revealed her presence in the shadows. You're quite sure you can't ride over tomorrow to say goodbye to Lee? Her voice was the merest whisper, but it brought him up the steps and to her side with an outstretched hand. I can't possibly. I'm sorry. He too spoke very low, but forced a note of easy cordiality. 
Good Lord, was this child going to make it difficult? Sylvia had moved so that a straying moonbeam played upon her hair, and its reflection seemed to glow in her soft eyes. This isn't goodbye, however. Remember my prophecy. Instead, shall we say, as our Mexican friends do across the border, hasta la vista. Until we meet again. There was a vibrant timber in her voice now, and as she laid her hand in his, it trembled with excitement. Had her moment come. Shall we meet again? I wonder. We've had some splendid rides together. Indeed we have. And we'll ride again, never fear. He had misread the note in her tones as well as the quivering of her small hand. I shall not forget. Won't you? Sylvia suddenly swayed toward him, with upturned face and violet eyes holding his. Gary? For the barest instant, he hesitated while she waited with tense breath. But the next moment, he had stepped back with a little bantering laugh and dropped her hand. Take care, little one. Friendship is a very wonderful thing, but don't waste upon it the kisses you should keep for that Prince Charming I told you would come. Until we meet again, Sylvia. He took her hand once more and with a swift gesture carried it to his lips, then descended the steps to his waiting Bronco. At the gate he wheeled, waved to the small figure half hidden in the shadows of the porch, and galloped swiftly away. Sylvia stood immovable until the sound of hoofs had died in the distance, while a rage such as she had never known consumed her. Oh, she gasped through set teeth. I hate you, I hate you. This episode was co-produced by Melissa Starr. The music in today's episode was provided by Epidemic Music. We release a new episode almost every week, so make sure to subscribe for free on the platform of your choice, and if you can, leave us a rating or review. We have a brand new website, www.pulpthepodcast.com, where you can learn more about the show and search episodes by genre and author. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Pulp the Podcast or reach out to me directly via email at jonathan at pulpthepodcast.com. If you love science fiction and horror, please check out our sister podcast, The Curious Matter Anthology, which presents full-cast cinematically produced audio drama adaptations from authors like Philip K. Dick, Kurt Vonnegut, and Robert Block. You can find Curious Matter Anthology via the link on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jonathan Pezza, your host, and thank you for listening. <laughs>